The following episode of Overtired contains spoilers for the series finale of Parks and Recreation. It also contains more than one episode of Overtired. Before we begin, a word from your co-host, Christina Warren. I don't really know if I want you listening to our show. No, I'm kidding. Please do listen and rate and review us on iTunes. It's very important. Tired. So tired. Overtired. You're listening to Overtired on ESN with Insomniac's Christina Warren and Brett Terpstra. What's going on, Brett? I, oh man, it's, uh, my wife's gone on one of her deployments, which she does very regularly. So this is my first full day, uh, in the last couple of weeks with no wife. And to compound that, knowing that when I wake up tomorrow, there will still be no wife. So what I do today has little consequence. And I mean, basically that amounts to if I drop a sock on the floor, I don't think about it because my brain says, oh, you don't have to worry about that for like a week. Right, right. You're like, I, I, mean, I can go into messy house mode. Now, you've had some computer problems, right? Do you want to talk about that? Oh, um, <laughs> you mean the, the stuff I was complaining about on Twitter yesterday? Yeah, yeah, I, I, uh, exactly. Well, I figured out a way to, uh, okay. Give us some background. I'll, I'll, what's going on? I will try to make this short. Um, there, in, in Finder, in Yosemite, if you use Finder to add a tag to a file and you have more than 500 tags in your system, which I know is edge case, but in my case, it's, it's clearly going to happen. Of if course you do it's that, going to happen. It, <laughs> Finder spins for up to like a minute or two. While, and I figured out what, what it's doing is it's parsing your entire list of tags just to put those five most recent tags into the sidebar. It's, it's, a, it's an oversight. It's a bug. Um, so I was, I was experimenting with a script that would regularly just defeat that, just clear out its list of sidebar tags without affecting the main tag list. And I thought I had it figured out. Uh, and this script affected a, a certain plist file in the preferences folder. And everything was working great for two days. And then all of a sudden, any, any, anything on my machine that tried to open a, a save or open dialogue, like where you would choose your file, it would crash and the whole machine would crash and it, I, I could not track it down. I reinstalled my operating system. You know, I went through like probably eight hours of debugging an hour of reinstalling the operating system. And then finally in the 11th hour, and, and I don't mean that in a hyperbolic fashion, it was 11 hours into it. I finally realized that it had something to do with the, the P, P list mucking around I'd been doing. And I deleted that file and everything's been fine since. Interesting. That wasn't too long, was it? No, that wasn't. Everything's fine now. The The moral of this story is if you're going to <laughs> write scripts that, that decimate system files, be prepared to spend entire days fixing your computer. Which I think is fair. I'm all, I, I was planning to blog this solution, and I'm really glad that my computer decided to let me know that it was horrifically dangerous before I put any scripts out on the web. <laughs> no, I think that you're absolutely right. I think that's exactly how that needed to be. Oh, yeah. Can you imagine? Can you imagine my credibility? You've built up enough goodwill that I don't think it would matter. <laughs> yeah, I have, I have to remember to start putting disclaimers back on things. I used to always be like, no, no, no liability if anything goes wrong, but then nothing ever went wrong, so I stopped worrying about it. 
this would have been this would have been bad. It's true, but again, I mean, I think you've built up your credibility over the years that I think people would would be okay. I mean, it would be terrible, but it would be you wouldn't be like people would be like, I'm never listening to that Terpster jackass again. Yeah, I have a customer I rate with me. He, he's sending me private uh, messages on my forum, my uh, like uh, support forum. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he so won't. This, this is a marked customer. Yeah, he's being very, very vague about what it is that has him so irate, though. Like, huh. it's, it's laughable at this point. I can't take it personally because he honestly will not explain. Like, he's like, it's giving me an error. I have no idea. Like, at what point he's running into an error. It's, it's, it's okay. So the reason I'm saying this is it's weird talking to people who don't know me because every day, most of the people I deal with know this, this kind of like history and they, they have this sense of credibility uh, toward me. And then to deal with someone who's clearly just like an irate stranger, right. it's not, it's not normal in my life. Working in customer support in other places that actually have like popular products that appeal to more than just a small sector. Um, right. You deal with that all the time. That's normal. But yeah, it's, it's odd for me. That's really funny. I mean, not I funny, know. but I mean, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, actually, it is kind of funny. I, I, I sent out a, a tweet that I thought was hilarious, and it got, it got one favorite, but the essence being, show me on the doll where my app touched you. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, Maybe I, I feel like a it's really... a, a good summary. Oh, well. Um. Anyway, what were we talking about? Computer problems? Wives being gone? Did you see? Did you see the season finale of Parks and Rec? I the series finale. I sure did. Series. Series finale. That's so final. It is so final, and it makes me so incredibly sad. It's like my favorite show, as we've talked about. I don't think I realized during the episode that it was the end. Like they've been coming so fast and furious that I just kind of. No, they, they, they've been coming. They've been coming so fast and furious because they were freaking getting rid of it. They were like, "Why though? Why? Why did they not? Why did they not only end it but decide to in, make the season happen in, ha- in like double time?" Oh yeah, exactly. They, that's called a burnoff in in industry speak, and that basically means they don't have enough. Um, I guess idea of they don't have enough support that the audience will be there so they just want to get rid of it as quickly as possible how, how isn't it one of the most popular like sitcom type shows ever? it does really it does no it does really well on netflix and it's it's you know um really? been really well critically it's been critically acclaimed but it hasn't um had like huge ratings you know but to me what's been like crappy about this is that yeah, you know, it was a great show. I don't think it ever really got the network love that it wanted. Um, Amy Poehler even said on she went on Seth Meyers's uh, show naturally at the end of um, all of this um, with a uh, with the rest of the cast. They went on on the uh, Seth Meyers show after the Tonight Show, and you know, thanked the fans for keeping it on the air. And that's certainly been like the case. You know what I mean? Like it's. I didn't. I honestly didn't know that. My perception has always been that everyone loved it as much as I did. Yeah, I mean, and you would think because I think the internet really has loved it, and it's it's one of those things that um, I don't know. It it's a great show, I, and it's sad I don't that it's under, gone. I, I honestly don't understand how anything you're saying right now could be true. It is 
it's a, it's a brilliant show. It's consistently one of the best written shows currently on television. Uh, in my opinion, of course, obviously. But it's I don't understand how they could be struggling in any way. I and and I don't see them ever doing like a a Netflix only series a la like uh, Arrested Development. I, no, it's, exactly. It's too big a show to do that, but apparently too small a show to survive. That's nuts. No, I mean, it's just, you know, NBC is going through flux right now and they're having problems with their ratings in a lot of areas. And this is kind of one of the one of the last shows that's kind of been around for a long time. And and it was time for it to end. And that's OK. I mean, I'm happy that it ended. I felt I felt like it ended on a high note. I liked actually all of the moving forward stuff. And I didn't think that I would, you know, at the end of last season, I was a little bit hesitant about that. I was like, is that going to work or is that going to be weird or what's the deal? And it actually was perfect. And um, it, it was a little if there was a little like uh, vertigo the first couple yeah, episodes. But it yeah, was. They but, covered but then it, it well. fit in. They covered it well. Not only that, but the fact that it was just a couple of years in the future so they could make fun of certain things. And, you know, some of the stuff that Grizzle, you know, the Facebook like company yeah. did was really spot on. And, and, and I loved the, the CGI they did for future devices and things like yes. that. Um. No, but I, I thought the finale was was really good, and and I loved that they kind of did a six feet under thing where they kind of you know followed each character to the next phase of their life. Um, obviously I, not I the death, like, except for one character, but yeah, yeah, Gary's, Gary's, Gary's death, and the fact that they misspelled Gary's name on his tombstone was yes, is perfect. perfect. It's absolutely perfect. Um, on on Mashable we have um this new like kind of top section thing that that shows like the most popular stories of the of the day like what we call it kind of like the um you know kind of our top lead um splash section kind of like the the cover of a, a magazine or you know like the headline area and it and it goes into um you know it highlights one major story and then three smaller stories and that's sitting at the top of the page no matter what's happening and we put parks and rec in the top spot last night and um we have a little kind of like you know a bolded kind of headline kind of commenting on what the thing is above those things and, and above the parks and rec thing, we had like top 10 quotes and we was like, we'll miss all of you except Jerry. Um, which, which was funny. Uh, it was like in parentheses, like except Jerry, which, which was really funny. Um, and the, the editor who wrote that, she was like, I think this is the best thing I've written all year. And I was like, I hate to tell you this has, or no, she said this best thing I've written all day or something like that. And I was like, I hate to tell you this has, that's the best thing you've written all year. That might be the best thing you ever write. It's uh, we're currently treading an area where only people who have followed the show in its entirety will get these references. It's true. But you know what? If you don't watch Parks and Rec, I don't really know if I want you listening to our show. No, I'm kidding. Please do listen and rate and review us on iTunes. It's very important. Uh, but... We should just have that on like a, <laughs> a sampler. So we should. We should just have like 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 a exactly. We need no, to please just have... don't. <laughs> exactly. No, we need to just have. Um... Exactly, like a a soundboard where we can be like, no, please listen to us, please rate and review us on iTunes. Don't don't not listen to us. But no, I think a lot of our audience loves Parks and Rec, and it was a great show. And Amy Poehler, who I love so much, we've talked about this before. She's my one of my all time favorite SNL cast members, like without a doubt. And she's one of my favorite female comedians, and she's just so funny. And the writing on that show was consistently so good. And it was really sad that one of the producers actually died of a drug overdose last week. Oh, really? And yeah, uh, Harris Whittles, who he played um, Harris, one of the animal control stoner guys yeah. on the show. And he was one of the producers and he died of a heroin overdose last week. Well, the show was obviously doing well enough to have people die of, you know, celebrity causes. It's only <laughs> only only you only die of a heroin overdose if you are a tragic high school student 
a junkie on the street or a rich Hollywood person. <laughs> Don't quote me on uh, that. I, I, I have multiple friends dead from heroin overdoses. I, I, I know what I'm talking about. And what I just said was not true. Please rate and review us on iTunes. <laughs> yes, seriously. We've just now pissed off half of our audience. Um, and left the other half shaking their heads going, does Jerry know about this? Exactly. Jerry, Larry, Gary. Oh, I love it. I love it. And Gary being his real name, that was actually great. And, and no, it was it was good. It was it was a good episode. I loved uh, watching April uh, giving birth um, in the the full on like monster makeup. Yes, and uh, and honestly, my favorite section was a little throwaway part where uh, where Ben tells, um, oh, what's the uh, Aziz's character? Um, yeah, Tom. Tom. Ben tells Tom that when he read his book and took the quiz, he was uh, a Tom. And Tom tells Ben that he has to go recalibrate the quiz. Yes. It, yeah, it I was, love that. Yeah. Precious. I love that so much. I love that. And then the fact that there's seven types of people and a Jerry. Like, it was like the perfect sort of quiz. <laughs> okay, was, so it, speaking... Okay, go ahead. What? And I was just going to say it was nice to see Rob Lowe and Rashida Jones back because I have crushes on both of them. I do, too. Rob Lowe, I, I, I'm more of a, like... Uh, I. I don't know how I feel about Rob Lowe. I like him. I do. I, I don't I don't have a crush on him the way I do with some actors, but I I do think he would be a lot of fun to know. Rashida definitely I have a crush on. Um but speaking of television, there there was a really interesting episode this week of Modern Family too. And it started out as what I thought was going to be like their opening bit. Like they always do a bit before the intro credits. And mm-hmm. it was uh, it was Claire on her Mac at an airport uh, with FaceTime windows, and she was starting to unravel a story that ended up being the the thread for the whole episode. But yes. they never they never stopped. the The entire thing was done on a Mac with, uh, like, presented on a Mac with FaceTime. Exactly. I'm sure that it was shot in w- of with more than just iPhones, but. They, they did um, shoot with some iPhones, but I'm sure they used some other things too. But yeah, no, the, the whole way of telling the story was that it was through, you know, just the computer screen. You literally saw everything happen. And so if she was doing FaceTime, you'd see her face that way and you'd see who she was talking to and you'd see, you know, iMessages and, and emails and, you know, you got, what the, I you got especially this entire liked, thing. What I especially liked was it was the, it, it opened up the device where they could clearly show what was going on in her head as she right. popped open her web browser and clicked on while while her husband's talking, she pops open her web browser and clicks on the bookmark titled "porn," and right. it opens up a productivity porn or, or organization home organization <laughs> porn like which uh, is so like... Brett. <laughs> it's so you. No, it's so like you completely. Porn. I'm not saying you don't like real porn. I'm saying that you love productivity porn as well. I do. You make do. a lot there... of it. I mean, Dude, you're, look, you're, you're kind of a porn dealer in that sense. You're kind of a porn publisher when it comes to productivity porn. That's kind of I feel like you, I feel like you're your saying things where, where sound bites could be taken out of context, and I'm going to get in trouble. Um, but I did just have David uh, Allen. Uh, the episode went out today, which is what wow. Thursday. Yeah. Um, Speaking of productivity just, porn, he's the man who invented the whole productivity porn movement. Well, he's kind of, yeah, he's kind of the godfather. He, he is to productivity what... Patty Smith is to like second wave punk rock. Basically, yeah. I mean, you know, GTD is his baby, right? I mean, like he's yeah. the man. I mean, yeah, he 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 Merlin Mann wouldn't really exist. No, he wouldn't. 
<laughs> I think Merlin I mean, he would, would. Agree with me on that. No, I think that we can all say that, 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 that Merlin and people like, I mean, there's a lot of people who have a kind of a platform in this place because of David Allen. David Allen is totally the godfather of the whole kind of GT. Well, I mean, he created kind of the GTD system, but that whole movement and the whole kind of idea of this stuff. I mean, I guess you could technically probably go back to like, Franklin Covey and and, oh, and, yeah. and things well, like that, you know. But that's the thing but, like, is, he... like the the drive to be productive has always been here in this community. Totally. But he invented the three letters, the GTD, yep. that actually gave it like momentum and and a focus. And now everyone says GTD, and he he is. I think he makes. I think he makes a royalty every time we say that. Well, then we should say it a bunch of times because I bet he's a cool guy. I can't wait to listen. He to the is episode. really cool. He was fun. I can't wait to listen to the episode. No, because he's always been kind of a folk hero of mine uh, for those things. I, I'm somebody who I don't partake in product. I don't partake in productivity porn as much as I used to. I just frankly don't have the time, and I'm frankly not that productive. <laughs> I don't but have the time to be productive. I don't, and, and I wish I did. But it's one of those things, especially when I was younger and when I had more free time. Um, sucks of having like a full time busy job. Um, you know, I would really get sucked into those things that, that Merlin would rightly kind of condemn as, you know, people who get obsessed with productivity for productivity's sake and are really just making their lives more complicated. That's totally me. If, if I was to go down the rabbit hole of everything I would like to, do to automate my life, I would probably wind up less productive than ever, but I would have so much more fun with it. Um, you know, so there's, there's this divide between productivity and automation. Yes. Like productivity is a much more kind of, um, a, a mind hack kind of thing yes. where you have to like know how to organize everything. And yeah, there are tools for it, but the, the movement is focused more on the method, but then exactly. automation kind of splits off into this whole, like, what can you not put on your to-do list at all kind of thing instead of how do I approach my to-do list and automation can take up. If you're the person who automates things, you're going to lose a lot of your day to the process of automation. And then you have to analyze the whole XKCD cost benefit ratio thing. I should exactly. make a note to link that. But, um, but yeah, I mean, eventually it's supposed to pay back off. Whereas trying every new to do manager on the market, that is, that, that is guaranteed to waste your time as you port, you know, years worth of project list back. And exactly. Forth. Right. I mean, and, and it does, but there is something fun about also always trying that stuff. There's something kind of addictive in that nature, even though you know that it's not reaching any sort of cost benefit analysis, you know, it's not actually doing a good work, you know, a good job for anybody. There's something kind of compelling about always hoping that you kind of have this system. It's kind of like always looking like if you're in Linux, like you're always hoping that this is going to be, you know, the distribution that really just works for you exactly as you wish that it would. And then you just realize at the end of the day, I should just buy a Mac and get get it over with. And now all the Linux heads are going to like hate mail and that's fine. Um, I'm right. And um, you're just either too, um, I'm, I'm right. They're proud. Really They're just, proud. There are proud people. They are proud people, but really you just have Mac envy. So just buy a freaking Mac. I'm willing to admit that I like aesthetics just barely secondary to functionality. Like it has to be pretty for me. Absolutely. That's exactly yeah. how I feel. Like I have a hard time using windows for that very reason. Windows first-party stuff does a lot of really good things, but so many of the third-party apps are just so horrendously ugly and just don't care and don't adhere to standards or anything that even Microsoft tries to put out that I'm like, you know what? I, don't, I can't even with this. I can't even. Well, that's the thing. is that's, That is why I appreciate uh, Apple's walled garden and their, their kind of regulations on interface the way that I do is 
they basically they ma- they're making it increasingly difficult to make a really ugly app. I mean, you can still download some horrible Java interfaces, yep. and and you can you can find them. And there are some you know, some apps that you just can't find a pretty way to do what you want to do. Totally, there there's some ID three tagging app. Yeah, I mean, there's some ID three tagging apps because I've exactly. been going through my yes. music library, and I'm still dealing with Tagger and some of the other ones, and they're so ugly. And I'm like. God, somebody please come up with a pretty version, but don't charge $30 for it. Because that's, that, that's a weird thing that's happening now, too, where some companies are coming up with interesting-looking apps, but they're replacing it kind of an open-source variant, and they're coming to the market way too priced, frankly, what the market can no longer, like, allow. And I don't know if I'm going to pay $30 for an ID3 tagging app. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah, it'd have no, to, be, I, it, it'd I have to work really well. I you an app well. that'll do that. It would have to work really well and be really pretty. Otherwise, I'm just going to continue using Tagger, which is ugly as hell, but works. See, but there's a there's a line where things get too pretty, where they focus too much on interface and not enough yes. on actual functionality. Agreed. Agreed completely. I think you're you should only be as pretty as like it should be in ratio to what you actually do. Yeah, like, I mean, I don't I think... need a full screen, highly decorated interface to add a tag to a file. No, exactly, exactly. I mean, I honestly, I mean, I feel like we should like create like the panic law where you should like do what panic does because I think panic is really good at at like finding that that it, it staying on that line where they're pretty but still functional, even if you don't use their versions of products for everything. Like they've consistently over the years done a great job of being pretty but still functional and never to the point of being overly pretty without having functionality. I I like that. I see. I think we need to not as regulations or rules but i think that guidelines should be accumulated from the developer community take yes. lauren lauren brichter for example unintentionally mm-hmm. i believe he's developed a, a business model that a lot of developers could uh could stand to profit from and that's you, you mean create cre- create a great product sell it to twitter um get no not the, not the <laughs> not the the startup model but yeah, the idea yeah. of putting out a, a polished app that does exactly what it says it's going to do. And then, okay, um, let's focus on letterpress, which never got acquired. And yep. to the best of my knowledge, hasn't been updated for over a year. Right. But is still my favorite game. And it's still, I think, got enough standing on the app store that he more than likely gets a fair amount of income from it without ever having to worry about it. Right. It, it does. Become, it did what it said it was going to do. Yep. And it never. It, like, he probably doesn't get more than he probably gets the same like feature requests over and over again because there are obviously things that could be done to the game that would make it more modern and take more advantage of capabilities. But he doesn't have to respond to that. He doesn't have to agree to anything because it's right. a self-sustaining income now. He can move on to making another one of those. I could learn from that. Yeah, I think we all could. I mean, you know what game I miss? Speaking of Letterpress, because Letterpress I love, and it's one of those like threes that I do play all the time. Remember Trism? No. Is that Trism like Tribbles? Was, uh, no, but it was one of the very first iPhone games. And actually, shoot, they updated it in 2014, but it's still not. It's optimized now for the iPhone 5, I guess. But it... um. So they, they updated the assets, basically. Basically. But, you know, it's a game that came out. It was one of the very first big iPad, or not iPad, iPhone games. And it was he was one of the developers that made, like, a you know, million dollars um, or, or something like that, you know, off the App Store. And it was a really good 
game and just really simple and uh, for a long time probably just sustained just on that. I know he's had problems um, kind of coming out with the sequel and kind of doing more than that. But um, yeah, I mean, I think you're right. I think Lauren, who's such a great talent anyway, you know, he's been really good at just putting out exactly what he said he was going to put out. And and not more than that, and just and and just keeping it at that. And I think that there is something to be learned from that sort of simplicity. This is an app that does what it says it's going to do. That's not trying to be everything to everyone. It's not trying to be Microsoft Word, right? I, yeah, I mean, I've taken Mark Two. I'm I'm very close to putting a feature freeze on it and just focusing on making everything better. Um, but it's really hard for someone with a personality like mine to not want to to have an idea in the shower and not want to try to make it work. Yeah. But I need, no, I, mean, I need to curtail that. No, I, I think you should. Do you think that you could maybe have like another outlet? Like, do you think that you could have like marked to like at feature freeze and then have like a weird, like I'm not, I don't want to say like beta, but like weird, like, you know, track or, or, edge, or channel. Off, edge channel. Exactly. Where you could just try out random things. And if they're cool, maybe they go into 3.0 or if they aren't, then you do other stuff. I mean, you know what I'm saying? I think there should be a Mark II and then a Mark II Pro and then a Mark II Pro Edge channel. <laughs> and things that become stable and, and popular in the Edge channel would make it into Mark II Pro. But Mark II could just continue to exist and do exactly what it says on the label and never have a feature added to it. Like, I'm to a point where I'm seriously considering adding a mode into Marked that removes absolutely everything but the bare minimums that marked one had. Mm-hmm. Just like completely like this is if you have a, a 300,000 word file and you don't care what your fog index is, you just want to see a preview. Normally, I would say, well, you can do that in just about any app. But I, I'm, I'm thinking about like making a button that makes marked into that. Yeah, just like just, one sub, like an getting, easy button. Yeah, it's getting slow because it tries to do too much. That's a good way to sell your app, right? <laughs> buy Mark on too. iTunes. Yes, uh, on the App Store or, or buy direct. <laughs> Please do it. Uh, my, the, the App Store uh, review times, and this isn't just me. This is uh, I've heard from many a developer lately. Uh, up to two weeks, my last update that made it in took a month wow uh but there was one rejection in the middle of that like it took a week to get into review rejected the same day for a word in the update description resubmitted took another what was week the to word get, uh, i'm trying to remember it was like i used i don't even remember it oh wait no the word the word that got it rejected was um Yosemite, but that was right before the update came out. This rejection was, um, I had uh, an unnecessary provision in the sandbox. Like I had, I had said uh, that Marked was allowed to make outgoing network calls when it didn't actually need to, and they rejected it because of that. Hmm. Um, so I, I fixed that. You know, it's it's one. I clicked a checkbox and and resubmitted a build. Took another week to get into review. And then another two weeks after that to be put out on the App Store, which was that that in in comparison to the stories I've heard is ridiculously long. But even like average two weeks is normal now. And that's people's income that you put you put all the development time and development costs 
into a project and then you have to sit on it for two weeks making no more money. Hmm. That that doesn't seem like a feasible ecosystem to me, not for the long run. Why not hire more reviewers? I don't know. I don't know. Or maybe it's just because they are about to come out with another product and they're trying to shore up on different things. Who knows? They spent all their money on car developers. Is that what you're saying? That is what I'm saying. On on auto engineers? Exactly what they did. They, they, they're they in this pissing contest with Tesla over who can hire, you know, who first. And they're, uh, they're like, okay. Okay, well, le- I don't know what Tesla's numbers are right now, but in January, Apple posted a net profit of $18 billion for the quarter. Yeah, Tesla didn't do that. $18 billion. Uh, quarterly revenue of over $74 billion. I know. They That's... sold 75 million iPhones. Crazy. That's crazy. But as the Million Man Month sort of myth is indicative of, I mean, having more bodies wouldn't necessarily put the review process time that much lower. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's a certain place where it's like, um, you know, the the law of, of uh, diminishing returns. You know what would reduce time? What's that? A, a little scanner that when you submit an app takes a look at your your meta, uh, like your description, and says, hey, you used the word Yosemite. You might want to change that. Instead of making me sit for a week and then saying, oh, you used the word Yosemite, please resubmit the entire build. That is, that, that is something that a simple JavaScript could have done. That's very true. That's very true. You should, you should submit a radar on that. Yeah, I submitted a radar on QuickTime, uh, QuickTime Player, and they wrote back to me and said, that's how it's supposed to work. <laughs> yeah uh... probably true and 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 i i entirely believe that it was by design i just think the design is flawed um but i won't get into that i will continue that uh discussion in the support uh thread yeah no but that as you should because you know obviously bitching to the press and in public never gets anything done oh wait you want to talk about nightcrawler yeah let's talk about my- nightcrawler so did you see nightcrawler i saw nightcrawler um uh uh what's his name jake gyllenhaal why why when i talk to you i no it's not it's all the time but i usually have my wife next to me to remind me who's that guy in that one movie and she'll know um but yeah jake gyllenhaal from like the start of that movie completely channeled de niro and taxi driver not in a like he didn't duplicate the performance in any way no 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 he was no it wasn't a parody but he's yeah, no, he was taking the same kind of approach to acting, and he was great. I mean, it was very Travis Bickle, though. You're very right. You know, he transformed his body um, kind of like De Niro did in Raging yes. Bull. But 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 yet he had the taxi driver persona, but he transformed himself. He tra- he became the character. It was really impressive acting. Um, There's a scene and, and... where he's walking across a street, and it's just a shot of him walking across a street, and you can see, without it being, like, deliberate, you can see that he's thinking – like, his character has to put one foot in front of the other. Like, he's so deliberate about everything. And that kind of psycho, like, personality from the very beginning, I had no idea how it ended. And I won't give anything away. But I will say that from the very beginning, I knew this was not going to end happily. <laughs> I mean, I think anybody watching the trailer would know it wasn't going to end happily. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it comes across immediately as a kind of, like, uh, horror action what uh drama yeah but not a not a feel-good movie no i mean even but the I name do... nightcrawler <laughs> well 
Well, I mean, like it's a term for, you know, the people, the ambulance chasing journalists. But um, there's a there's a allegory to like um, a parallel to the American business model as it has come to be like this kind of cutthroat. The guy who is willing to hurt anybody wins. Yeah. And I feel I, 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 I haven't read anything about this movie or about the director's kind of goals with it but i really feel like it was like a a statement like a viewpoint on what has come to be considered good business i feel like samsung and apple were in there somewhere no i would agree with that i mean it becomes like about profit at all costs and Mm -hmm. and winning at all costs rather than you know the, the ends justifying the means without really considering the greater implications yeah i think that's fair um i i think you're right to call that for american business rather than just to 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 you know you know um, make it specific to a particular industry because I think that it has become, you know, the way that, that business is done. Um, yeah, well, we, we right kind that. of, we, he- we, we heroized can- canonical. Oh, um, like we worship the idea of the savvy businessman, Yes, but, but that has come to mean cutthroat. Like I, I used to work in, um, like uh, freelance, not, no, I'm sorry. I used to work in advertising. And I own my own firm, and I work with a lot of business leaders, like in tri-state area, northern, middle, U.S. And universally, the ones that were um, the richest, that were making the most profit off the smallest amount of resources, were always scary, like cutthroat people that would... uh, I got stabbed in the back plenty of times. And it kind of... I, I. I don't know. I feel like Nightcrawler really touched on this idea that in, in they took the idea of a, a corporation and put it down into one person in a in a in a nice car. Yeah. No. Exactly. And and I think that you're right because I mean a lot of times it does come down to doing whatever it takes to get ahead, and we we glorify that. You know whether it's we look at the people that like we consider our heroes are these businessmen who have really quasi legal sometimes sometimes flat out illegal unethical you know, just nasty tactics. And these are the people that we fetishize. And um, that's, it, it becomes a really interesting question, right? Because it's like, what are we teaching future generations? And, and what is that going to mean for the future of humanity? Um, but then I say those things and I, and then I have to stop myself and I have to go, okay, but is this really any different than how it's always been? And I'm genuinely not sure. I, I think that a lot of times we um, evangelize the past and, right. and 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 create like to believe that it was better than it really was, and it, and and in reality, I think we, the world as it exists, period, has probably always been as corrupt. It's just and as more. Terrible. It's easier to do more damage now. The potential. That's true. The 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 idea of being cutthroat doesn't mean like knocking out your nearest business partner in your area. We're talking like world warfare here. Right. So that's it's true. more. It's more catastrophic. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's true. I guess the stakes are potentially higher, but I also feel like in some cases, you know, most of us are are so self-centered that we're not thinking about world destruction. We're thinking about we are still focused on destroying our nearest neighbor and did our nearest you, competitor. Side note, did you see Red Bull's uh, block, their their opposition to the uh, craft brewery um, uh, logo or name? Uh, there's a so they had ox in it. I'm trying to remember the name. Um, Old Ox was the name of the brewery, and they were filing for a patent or like a trademark. And 
Red Bull opposed it because an ox is in the same bovine family as a bull. I mean, it's, yeah. it's a castrated bull. Right. But, like, and they, they demanded that ox brewery never be allowed to use the color red. Like, huh. that was how they specified it in their complaint, red. Not like any specific, like, RGB code, but They just, just said red, period. This That's entire one-third of the, you know, primary colors right. we, you are banned from. And then they went on to say, or any combination of silver and blue or silver and red. And they, they basically asked that these people not be, not be allowed to damage their brand where... There, the logo for Old Ox is a circle and an X. There are no bulls in the in the logo, and their name does not contain red or bull. And it, it's ridiculous, and it's it's a broken system. Seriously, it is a broken system. It is. A broken I, I, it system. won't be a broken system until that gets granted. No, agreed. I mean, uh, although part of me has to say, like, it's as terrible as it is for Red Bull to even make that complaint. Part of me has to has to not respect but sort of applaud their balls for... well that's that's the why they're the bull they still have testicles but bump. no but you know what i mean like part of me like i i think it's terrible and i obviously hope that they aren't granted any of their things as they shouldn't be but part of me has to sort of in a weird way be like wow that really does actually take guts in a weird way to be that brazen and to go after your presumed competitors in the beverage space so hotly to defend what you see as your ip like that's actually like <laughs> wow i mean honestly like i don't think i mean i think it's, it's obviously going too far and like i said i hope that they're not granted the injunction that they they're, they're seeking um but as we're discussing these things you know i mean the, the nature of business is such that probably a lot of smaller businesses could probably learn from red bull and be more aggressive about protecting their trademarks and progress and and, and and protecting their brands you know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's it, there's actually like once you extrapolate that down into lower levels, there is um, there's concern about where the line is. I agree. Absolutely. Like, it's great that we have systems in in place to protect intellectual property. It's important to to an individual or a firm's ability to profit. Right. And, it, you know, in a system that is based on the profit of an individual private organization. It, it's extremely important to be able to say, no, that was my idea. That's what we're selling. You can't have it. But there's, you know, obviously this kind of touches on that line. It, where... it, it, it totally does. I mean, it kind of is like when Apple tried to trademark App Store. <laughs> yeah. And and they didn't, they were not successful. The, the, the judge overturned it and was like, no, Amazon can still use this. You know, you cannot, you cannot claim it's your app store, you know, it's like, you know, there, there's certain lines where, yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I guess you got to respect them for trying, but well, you hope the you, system will be smart enough to say no. Have you ever sat and watched this. the feeds of what Apple applies for patents on? Like, yes. Like once they become uh, public, after you apply for the patent, anyone can like view the patent application. I think that's how yeah. it works. Yes, and it is. They, I mean, it's almost daily. They're like, oh, it is. Oh, I had an idea. There's a whole website dedicated <laughs> to Patently Apple. No, I mean, and, and I mean, I, I was talking to Pebble earlier this week about the Pebble Time, their new smartwatch, which they've got on Kickstarter, and they, it's going to be waterproof like the old one was, but it has a microphone built in. And he was telling me about how they designed it so it could still be waterproof and have a microphone. And the first thing I said to Eric, their CEO, I was like, okay, so you got patents on this, right? He was explaining this design to me, and he was like, yeah, we protected ourselves. And I was like, good, because frankly, you know, like if you don't. 
I mean, look, we can all just we can all agree the patent system is screwed, but at a certain point it's like if it if it's still around, you know, you need to take the precautions as a business owner, protect yourself. I, I do think that the, the the system needs to step into places where if it's like Red Bull trying to claim that that Ox, you know, brewery can't use the color red or, or, or also, combination of blue and silver. Also, it wants to ban them from ever producing a, a soft drink, anything non-alcoholic. Right, which is insane, <laughs> which is absolutely insane. I mean, these provisions are insane. The same way it's insane of Apple to try to trademark um, App Store and the, the same way it was insane for Google to try to trademark Glass. You know, I mean, they're, they're, these are ridiculous, ridiculous notions. Um, or, or Candy Crush Saga to try to, to um, you know, trademark candy. Like, they're just ridiculous ideas here, and they should be turned down. But um, there's a, a micro lesson, which is to be, like, if you are a smaller person, like, if this sort of, obviously the system needs to stop that from happening, but if you're a small business, protect your shit. Well, what happens when the patent office is flooded daily, hourly, with everyone who had an idea saying, I want rights to this like at what uh, th- point that, do that's you already just, happened like, at, at what point is it a ddos on like the patent system yeah i mean <laughs> and that's basically where the patent system is now i mean like when when google tried to file for 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 a trademark which is different than a patent obviously for for glass there were a lot of other companies that had tried to try but f- file for trademarks and word marks against glass and, and rent about different ideas some even in the same category as google and it really just comes down to who can get it granted first who can have the money despite successfully in court you know it's 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 a lot of issues um granted but it, it's uh it's funny because um yeah i mean the whole system is broken but that's a whole again that's a whole other topic for a whole other show or series of shows i don't i don't i don't know if we'll ever get to that because you know so much more about it than i do i have opinions but i'm so i don't follow up on researching things i shouldn't yeah. be allowed to talk um, yeah, i'm should. basically i'm basically sean hannity uh, that's that's the name of the show. That's the, the show title, basically, Sean Hannity. <laughs> I love it. Yes, I'll take it. Um, well, yeah, we should probably wrap up. Yeah, we should wrap up for sure, because I need to get out of here. And, that was uh, such a scattered do. episode. I'm sorry. It's okay. I liked it, actually. You, wanna, you, you, you need to get out of here because I'm, uh, I'm crazy and annoying or because you have stuff to do? Because I'm, work, I'm, at, I'm at work still. And so oh, my God. I, and, yeah, so I need to leave the office and get home. Like 8.30. You should go home. Yeah. Go home and get some exactly. sleep, Christina. Thank you, Brett. You get some sleep, too. Enjoy. Uh, we will talk about... Because we'll... we'll, we'll, we'll will your wife still be out of town when um, we talk next? I believe she will, yes. So we can talk uh, next week about what it's like uh, living... Um, be married without your wife. Yes. So, uh, <laughs> As if, that sounds like... That sounds horrible, but yes. Yeah, well, I think that was what you put in the in the show notes, wasn't it? Like you, yeah, that's married how I, life. That's how I life. phrased it, but I certainly wouldn't title a show that. No, and and, and maybe we don't describe it that way, but we can talk about your interesting <laughs> uh, marital situation. See, that sounds even worse. Um, <laughs> no, but we can we can talk about uh, how you are able to traverse things um, with coping. someone who travels uh, a lot. A, how you a, cope coping with your wife. When half of a couple is coping with being introverted and alone for half a month, yes. Exactly. We can also talk about House of Cards, which is a premiering tomorrow oh, as yeah. we record this. Awesome. We'll have lots of stuff to talk about, but I, yeah, I got to get out of here and, and get home and get some sleep, and you got to get some sleep too, and and um, finish responding to customer complaints. Yes. All right. Well, have a great night. Thanks. You too, Brett. Today's episode is a little bit different than the past. You might notice that some things sound a little out of place. 
That's because this is actually kind of two episodes in one. See, Brett's a little crazy, and I'm not much better. And we weren't totally pleased with half the episode we recorded earlier, so we decided to redo some things and address some breaking news that happened literally moments after we finished the first draft of this podcast. So it's it's kind of a mishmash. So uh, let's get back into it. How are you doing, Brett? I am. I'm wide awake. What's going on? I, I, I don't know. It's, it's a weird time for us to be recording this. I'm wide awake, too. Oh, I suppose it is It is early afternoon. That works. So, okay. So it's in my eyes. All right. And I read, I read the Wired article about this dress. And it is, it's tearing relationships apart. I was going to say, let, 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 let's give a little context. I don't think there's anybody left on the internet who's not aware of the dress. But just in case you're not, there's a dress. And depending on how you look at it and depending on your eyes, it's either white and gold or the correct color, black and blue. Which is, uh, which is in fact correct, although I do see white and gold very clearly. Really? I do. It's, it is unquestionably white and gold to me, even though I know that it has been determined that the dress is blue and black. Yes, no. So what was so funny when this when this broke um and and this has been doing insane traffic. I think BuzzFeed said they got something like 25 million page views like the first night that they ran the story which um uh Nissan Zimmerman who I don't really agree with on anything really he called it a viral singularity. I think he's actually correct. <laughs> uh because it was this thing I we were talking about it in our slack room internally at work and I knew instantly I didn't know how much it had blown up other places but just seeing the debate in our own slack room I was like this is going to be easily our biggest story this month and (laughs) and it was um and it would happen the last day of the month but like I genuinely thought people were trolling. I was like, of course it's blue and black. What are you talking about? And it wasn't until I talked to people like you and my sister who briefly saw white and gold and my husband that I I understood people genuinely saw white and gold. And then I saw white and gold for one split second. Well, and here's why it matters. Because it calls into question the idea that we all see the same thing. It does. That's what's so fascinating about this. And what's interesting to me is that so no matter how you look at the color dress, you see white and gold. Is, is that how it works for you? Yeah. Yeah. I can turn it upside down. I can change the contrast on it. It's, it's straight white and gold. But that's partly because my brain compensates for the harsh yellow light in the background. Right. And makes the assumption, you know, completely subconsciously to me makes the assumption that in the shadow, the dress is a blue cast on white. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, see, what's interesting for me is that when I first saw people saying, oh, the white and gold, I thought they were talking about the harsh light in the background. I was like, well, I guess I see some white and gold there, but that just looks like an overexposed photo. You know, the dress itself is obviously black and blue. But then when someone cut the dress out. It's ironic that the only time I saw the white and gold, and it was for a second, I genuinely thought someone had photoshopped it to look white and gold correctly, like like to look white and gold, was when someone photoshopped the dress and put it on Left Shark from the (laughs) Katy Perry Super Bowl thing. So this is like two memes in one. I saw it and I was like, oh yeah, okay, well that's white and gold. And then I looked up and then I scrolled through and I scrolled back through it again and it suddenly was, was blue and black again. And I was like, it, it, it dawned, I, but, but for a split second, I was able to see what, what everybody else saw. 
And you're right, it does draw into question everything because there's kind of this notion that unless you're colorblind, you know, what we see is what we see. But if that's not, but if it's not true for this weird optical illusion for something like a overexposed dress photo on Tumblr, then I kind of don't know what it means for anything. Like, how do we really know that the sky is blue? Well, and I have always questioned my entire life, uh, you know, like starting as a very young kid asking why the sky is blue and then immediately wondering, is what I see as blue what everyone else sees as blue? And it turns out, and this is my sense of color has been brought into question many times by my, uh, my younger brother, who is an amazing artist and has studied color theory extensively. Um, and the combinations that I've chosen in my design career there are a lot of times that he wonders what I was thinking. Even though they look amazing to me, I've come to realize that I don't... I've been in arguments with my wife over whether a hoodie is uh, fuchsia or dark red. And in that case, the lighting does matter even more. But I, I, I'm quite convinced that I don't see colors the way other people see colors. I'm not colorblind. I see contrast. I see the spectrum. But this, this was so drastic. To see white versus blue and black versus gold, that's so different. That's so, such a variation that it's kind of scary. Yes, I agree completely. And no, it, it has, I mean, you know, it has made me question and re-question just so many things. And I see the quote-unquote correct color. Um, but even seeing it for a second the wrong way, like I said, I thought people were genuinely just sort of trolling until I sent a link to Grant, my husband, and, and I was like, what color is this? And he was like, why? I was like, don't don't sass me. Just tell me what color <laughs> is this. Don't talk back to me. <laughs> just tell me what color is this. And... And he was like, I don't know, I guess white and gold. And I was like, oh my God. But it just, just hilarious. It, it, what, what, it is fascinating, the, the amount of traffic that it has caused and the, the amount of like heated arguments that it's caused on and off the internet. It's, uh, it, it's, it's a fascinating kind of example of disagreement. You know, there are political disagreements and there are, there are all kinds of different arguing going on, but this was... Like, you were arguing for what you considered hard fact. Like, there was no convincing me that it right. was until until I read the science behind it and was willing to accept that this is a blue dress. Right. No, totally. Because, and I understand why. Because when I did see it for half a second and the other way, I could understand why people were so sure they saw white and gold. Because I genuinely, my, my, my take was kind of the opposite. I was like, how in your right mind do you get do you not get blue and black from this? What is wrong with you? And and that, to me, I mean, yeah, I, I would have bet my if, – if I was in your position and I saw, like, the, the, the blue and – the white and gold aspect first, I would have bet – I don't want to say my life – but I would have bet. I'd put a hundred dollars on it. Oh, I would have put more than a hundred bucks on it. I would have been like, yeah, are you kidding me? Of course. And, but what was funny was that the, the, the night that it kind of all blew up and it was blowing up everywhere, you know, a friend of mine, who's a photo editor, she's a, she's the creative director at break media. You know, she was grabbing, um, colors from, um, Photoshop from the image to prove that it was blue and, and actually kind of brownish and, you know, using the, the eyedropper tool and, 
that was like the only thing that was actually proving it to some people. And I can imagine that some people like you would be looking at it and they would see the blue. See, but that doesn't work. You can't take a single color out of that because the illusion happens because of the combination of the background and the foreground. Well, no, you're, you're dead on. You're dead on. What I, what I'm saying though, is that I can imagine for people who didn't see the blue and black at all are just like looking at this, this, this weird, you know, like swatched photo and you're, you you see the photo and then you see this blue and, and, and brownish swatches and you're like, yeah, that doesn't look like anything about what I see. Yeah, exactly. So, so I, I've agreed to disagree with the internet, but accept what is scientifically proven. Yeah, I mean, I think Nietzsche's right. It's, 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 it's the, it's a viral singularity. It's one of those things that, I mean, earlier in the day we had llamas on the loose in Arizona, which was pretty cool. Um, but nothing compares to the right. It, I mean, the, the llamas were a typical kind of internet news story. Yes, completely. This is like genuinely, I mean, it was funny because CNN, who's of course trying so hard to stay relevant, they had the llamas on with Don Lemon and he was like interviewing llamas. And we all thought that was funny. And, that, and we were like, yep, they're about an hour away from figuring out that the, the newest thing is, is the blue dress and, and not Monica's blue dress. And, <laughs> and, and basically... You know, as soon as that happened, I mean, every website, every news channel, everybody, because in a part of it, you can be like um, uh, cynical and be like, oh, people just want the, the page views. But genuinely, it becomes this amazing phenomenon for exactly the reason that we've talked about. I mean, because it makes you question everything and because it's this amazing kind of like depending on who you are and how your eyes work and, and what conditions you see it in and whatnot, you genuinely could see different things. And it makes I don't know. I'm now questioning everything I've ever seen ever. Welcome to my world. Question everything. Um, so speaking of staying relevant, did you did yes. you see Saturday Night Live, which also happened since the last time we talked? This week? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. I was I, I felt like for a little while there they were getting back to being relevant and funny. And I felt Same. like this last episode kind of was a crash course. Like, just, I don't know. Maybe maybe it was viewed differently by others. I don't know how you feel. But it was, it, it, it was a huge step back for me. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I thought that the 40th anniversary uh, show was really good. and um, Wait, no, had... we must have seen different shows because this was not a 40th anniversary. This was with the Shades of Grey lady. No, I know it was. That was 40th about... anniversary show? No. Oh. No, 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 no. Oh, okay, okay. No, I'll let you continue. I, I see what I, I misheard there. Go ahead. I thought that their special that they did, I guess, two weeks ago for their 40th anniversary that they did on a Sunday, uh, it was like a four-hour extravaganza with a red carpet or a blue carpet and everything. Is that I the one that that's was... on iTunes? You can, like, pay for it? Yes. Okay. That was really good, I thought. You know, they had... Um, Everybody from everybody back, basically. I mean, you know, Eddie Murphy even showed up for 30 seconds and, you know, they, they had a celebrity Jeopardy skit and not all of it worked, but a lot of it did. And they had, you know, Kanye West performing and, and, and Paul Simon performing and Paul McCartney performing and, and Miley Cyrus not being totally awful, but she still sucks, but whatever performing. And it was, it was a really interesting, you know, they had a lot of their favorite hosts back and, and that was a really great celebration of 40 years of SNL, but I'm with you. I think this week's totally fell flat, especially since I think this season has been pretty good. Last season was okay. They've been getting some good talent, but uh, Dakota Johnson 
or whatever her name is, you know, <laughs> Melanie Griffith's Melanie Griffith's daughter, Tippi Hedren's granddaughter. She was not good, and the show is not good. See, I I feel like it it wasn't entirely her fault because she no, wasn't, wasn't horrible. The writing was just lame. it was, and it I wouldn't was. care last season because it wouldn't have. The, it only disappointed me because I felt like there there were massive improvements happening. Yes. Uh, no, she just, you know, I mean, a lot of people are giving her crazy for, you know, the ISIS, you know, skit and stuff. And like, <laughs> I thought that was like a shining moment for the episode. As did I. <laughs> as did I. I mean, but we're, we're clearly in the minority here because the internet was not happy with that. I thought that was like the high point of the entire thing. But... Yeah, I mean, in, in, in general, it was just not it, – it, you know what, though? Not every show is a good show. Well, yeah, sure. I mean, it's called uh, intermittent reinforcement. It's a common uh, be- behavioral modification idea where you can have, like, four great shows in a row. Then you can completely bomb, but people won't stop watching because they had four good shows. They got four good results, and one – even two shows in a row won't convince people they should stop watching. Right, it's when you have a whole season, right, or a couple of seasons, and you're like, all right, you know what? I mean, like, like the 1980 season, or the the, the year where, um, basically the 85, 86 season, where um, I think that was the one in the finale. They had everybody in a fire, and and Lauren Michaels goes onto the set, and he pulls out John Lovitz, and he's like, John, come here, come here. He's like, I want to save you, and it was like ended as a cliffhanger where you didn't know what cast members were going to survive. And I think only one other cast member really did survive, um, and uh, which is which is pretty hilarious and pretty terrible if you're a cast member on the show and you're like in part of this sketch where they're making fun of the fact that the season has sucked so hard that you know John Lovitz is the only one they care about keeping. But no, I mean that happens with the show. The show goes through ebbs and flows, and I feel like it's been kind of on an upswing. I think you know Kate McKinnon is is really funny. Yes. I think some of their other stuff is funny. I like uh, I like the kid who does um, Weekend Update now. Yes. Uh, but uh, who I think is uh, I think he's Rashida Jones's boyfriend. So lucky both of them. Wow. Um, but you know I uh, I was not happy with that episode. I was just like. Yeah. I will I will keep trying though. I will keep trying as well. I mean, it's just become a whole thing. What's funny too is that I've started to re-get into SNL again partially because of the 40th anniversary special and all of the, you know, kind of commemoration around that and and then remembering the show and rereading the Tom Shales book about the show, which is really really good. It's kind of like the oral history. Um and so on that end, I'm I'm kind of like rediscovering my, you know, snl fandom again well you can't you can't completely discount something that has had the impact i I mean half half our late night television right now wouldn't exist without snl oh without a doubt it wouldn't i mean you know obviously snl and and uh well more than half of it at this point because almost every single person who's (laughs) going to be on late night it hasn't i mean literally our current late night landscape if you think about it it's conan o'brien snl writer uh jimmy fallon um, SNL performer and writer, Seth Meyers, uh, SNL uh, head writer and uh, performer. Um, it's going to be Stephen Colbert and uh, who who auditioned and was um, not chosen for the show, but was part of the show through things like the um, ambiguously gay duo. And um, I guess who's who's left? Um, it's uh, I guess Kimmel, but he doesn't count anyway. So literally. <laughs> Everybody who's on there at this point is is from SNL, but I think beyond that, you're right. Like in a, the bigger landscape, 
certainly in the last you know uh, 20 years or so has been really fueled by that sort of thing um both snl and i would say sctv i think sctv was a huge role in a lot of things but just our, our sitcom kind of landscape too i mean snl has been incredibly incredibly um powerful so yes fallon has been rocking it fallon, rocking it, so fallon it feels like he stepped up his game in preparation for competing against colbert like he has just been all out it's been good yeah it has been good. I mean, you know, it, it, yeah, exactly. I mean, he's basically like, cause he knows, you know, it's going to be tough. Um, and, uh, and Fallon's amazing. And uh, we've talked about how much we both love him before. He is kind of, uh, um, what was I going to say? Um, it was the job he was born to have. Yes, I agree. So there, there's also been some sad news since we recorded. There has been some sad news. I find, like, it, I find it very sad, actually. Completely sad. Like, heartbreakingly sad. So, yeah. So, for anyone who doesn't know what I'm talking about, it is the death of Leonard Nimoy, Spock from Star Trek. The first Star Trek. And with cameos on multiple movies since then. Um, and not only was Spock, like, probably everyone's favorite character after M- Kirk, maybe. Yes. Um he 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 ended up being a really good guy. Yes. I think that's the biggest thing is, is that, you know, Shatner, everybody knows, is kind of an asshole. Yeah. And that's okay. We love Shatner, and he's amazing. Uh, his character was an asshole, so it's not yes. like that was a stretch. It was... No, exactly. Um, but, 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 but Leonard Nimoy was not. He was the nicest guy, by all accounts. He really went above and beyond for people, was... was cared about the fans was not going to have you know like again the snl sketch with 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 you know shatner yelling at the comic uh con people you, you could never imagine <laughs> right well and that's leonard nimoy doing that to me that's the, that's the most important part he did a lot aside outside of the star trek world yes but his dedication to the show and its fans he like he never got too good never he was ever. never too good to be on a comic-con panel or to show up and support the fans no, I mean, he signed all of his tweets, LLAP, like live long and prosper, mm-hmm. which is amazing. And, and I mean, yeah, he did a ton of stuff outside of Star Trek. I mean, he was a photographer. He was a musician. He was, um, before Star Trek, you know, he was kind of a more classically trained actor. But I think that he was a great person. And then Spock is one of those characters, I think, that so many people related to. We were talking about this before, about how we both, you know, growing up felt like outsiders. And I think everybody does, because that's just sort of part of being a teenager. You know, by being half human and half Vulcan, he really epitomized the idea of being an outsider and really brought that to television in a way that there were so many corollaries you could draw, whether it was someone who's gay or someone who's biracial. Or, or extremely someone... autistic. Exactly. Or, <laughs> or, or depressed or just different. You know, you had that character through Spock. And, and he just seemed like a genuinely great guy. And yes, he was 83 and he lived a long life, but um it's it's terrible that he's gone it feels like he's gone too soon and it's everybody who knew him was so upset i think that says so much when everyone literally who's been in your life is you know the outpouring of support and love when you pass says a lot about how you lived your life i seriously want that or when i go but i really don't feel like i am (laughs) doing much to earn that right now I, uh, Same. I do. I, I love the idea of leaving a legacy of kindness behind, and yes. kindness and goodness. And I'm just 
I don't know. I'm I'm afraid I'm too much of an old uh, curmudgeon at this point to actually... I don't know. I can work on it. We can all work on it. Yeah. It'll get better. I my aspiration is to die like Spock. That sounds sad, but that's the thing is it's not a tragic death. No. Uh, as far as you know, like it was a drug overdose when you're 27 kind of thing. It was it was time, you know, by American longevity standards. But it was still like it was very sad. Like, it was still I don't know. My, when my grandparents passed, I had the same kind of. It was time in my head at the time but it was still you know there's still that loss that hole ever tell you how did i ever tell you that both of my grandfathers died on the exact same day you did Uh, you did that still weirds me out it's that's uh, yeah i don't even know if they ever met i mean they they lived half a country apart and they still just same day anyway Anyway, so yeah, that has me in a somber mood every time I think about it, and I think that will be a long-lasting morning for all of the... Not, I I guess it really is specific to the Star Trek fans, but who isn't really? Exactly, exactly. I mean, they kind of created one of those things that was... um... He was. They were. They were nerd chic before it was cool. And and who's not a Star Trek fan exactly at this point? Whether whether it's any of the iterations. I mean, and 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 he had a role in in J.J. Abrams' Star Trek. I mean, you know what I mean? Like yeah. he literally was in all of them. So. Yes. Yes. All right. So should we move on to happier topics? We should move on to happier topics. What's a happier topic? House of Cards. Sure. Okay, so this season is weird, right? It's totally weird. So I'm not, I'm only like five episodes. Yeah, that's where I am. Okay. But House of Cards premiered this weekend, season three. Uh, Grant and I last year binge watched the entire thing on on, uh, Valentine's Day. This year it actually debuted on his birthday, but we only got through about five episodes. We had other things kind of going on and and whatnot. (laughs) Because I'm a lady with interests. Because I'm a lady with interests, no. and uh no but it's it's been weird it's been really good but but the I'm dynamic yes w- like i, I mean talk about it we've always had this he's always been a cutthroat manipulative and he's always had a plan and it always worked out for him and yes. now he's in this position where he's constantly persecuted everything he does is it's really hard for him to perform any kind of subtle manipulation and he's on the run. Like, he's a, he's a much weaker character. And I don't mean that the acting is weaker. I mean that no, his character no. is, he's impotent in this, you know, he's president now. And, and it's, it's a huge statement on how actually impotent the office of president can be. Yes. But it also yes. makes you feel really bad for people in that position sometimes. No, it's really fascinating because, yeah, you're exactly right. It went from having, you know, the first season, he was kind of this this character who had been sidelined and that it was it was all about getting his revenge. And then the second season was all about putting that revenge into place and executing this plan where he knew that the final he knew what the final um, situation was going to be. He was going to be president. And now he is the president. He's in that position of power and he's got to try to execute on the next level of things. And what do you do after this? And it's almost like, you know, the reality doesn't live up to the dream in a certain sense. Exactly. All the scheming, all the scheming, all the planning. 
and for what? And it's kind of the same thing happening with his home life where he and his wife are, are facing uh, challenges that are far worse than any challenges they've kind of faced before because she's feeling sidelined. She's trying to create her own identity outside of his shadow. And she's and failing at it. And she's failing at it. And, and he's also failing. They're both failing and they're not used to that and they don't know how to deal with it. Usually, you know, one would succeed, one would fail. And they're not used to being in a situation where they're both failing at the same time. And, and she's having to make contingency plans and he's still trying to kind of push his thing. It's It's a totally totally fascinating character study and and i'm I'm really enjoying the season uh from that perspective alone because i think it makes there's something charismatic and interesting about a character who always wins and always succeeds and is always able to kind of get things to go their way and and that was great last season with, with frank underwood but there's also something have you watched the episode yet with um with the pussy riot yes yes okay. <laughs> there's something about you know the fact when he's interacting with you know the the Putin character, yeah, and and he's going up against someone who literally is not impressed by him, right, and who does not care, and makes it and very clear, like there's no diplomacy there. There's no diplomacy, and in fact, there's there's the guy is is going to be brazen enough to drink his his you know his vodka and it and and kiss his wife and smoke his cigars and, and put them out on the wall of the White House, exactly, and just <laughs> not care. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing that Frank can do because, yeah, he's president of the United States, but so what? This guy's president of Russia. Who cares? Right. It's a really interesting kind of power. Like the the, the change of power is really interesting. I also think kind of what's happening with, with um, Stampler and, and watching him kind of become sidelined and, and deal with internally struggling from being so connected to being let out, you know, to, to being no longer in the loop. Um, has been really fascinating. Yeah, too. he's a I've fascinating been... character to me, especially with the addiction issues and. Yes. Yeah. And he's battling it in in such a interesting way. You know, it's like the fact that he's drinking not straight out of the bottle, but by forcing himself <laughs> to, right. to, out of the syringe, which to me is just so much more. He's dosing himself. It's he's yeah. dosing himself, but also he's. It's almost like he wants to see himself as like he wants to tell himself when I do this, I I can't excuse it. Yeah. No, there's a there's a lot of torment there and like the behavior the the controlled use is actually a very it's it's very common for addicts to feel like they're in control by controlling doses. I mean it's just another like addiction's all about control. But can I say that I think the show would benefit by ending every episode with a pussy riot video? I completely agree. I love them. They are. I do too. They're so amazing. And the and for people who don't know, th- this is a real group, and uh, they're basically they are punker than anything America Any, has ever had. Ever, ever. I mean, literally, they've gone to jail. Yeah. Literally, they they for 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 you know some of them for over a year. They've literally like been willing to die for right. their art. Right. Th- they're I mean, that's, persecuted. That's how punk they are. And what they're rebelling against is way more real yes than most of what american punk has ever rebelled against and now there's a there's a strain of punk right now that is truly like they take an anarchist view and they look at issues that really do matter but they're not under the kind of scrutiny and persecution that these girls are and plus they are awesome live with their ski masks and everything i've never seen them live but i've seen videos of their live performance and it's amazing 
No, I mean, last year, we, uh, one of our, the girl who was at the time our video producer, she's now at CNN, but she managed to get an interview with one of the members of Pussy Riot from jail. Nice. (laughs) Over the phone. And then she, uh, there had another photo of, like, she had, she took a, a, I think, like, a, a selfie with them or something of them smoking just like just being just so nonchalant and just being so them i mean just they don't they, they are don't hard care. they are hard they're hard <laughs> they're hard they don't care i mean and that's the whole thing is that it's what's what's so fascinating to me about them is that like like you said i mean american punk and i mean british punk too i mean british punk was rebelling against more than what american punk was without a doubt but even british punk wasn't but rebelling first it wave british punk was just snotty it was you know exactly was drunk and it, it was, snotty just exactly it was, it was it was just you know kind of poor kind of rich kids it's just basically you know yeah exactly just just little snots just you know exactly whereas these girls are actually fighting against something real and are genuinely like you know oh honestly they're risking their lives they are well without a doubt and they know it and they're aware of it and they're willing to do that i mean they're literally you know um what was the term i guess poking the bear i mean another <laughs> thing that ha- i mean when you when you realize that, that in russia is a country where a dissident can be shot mm-hmm. steps away from the kremlin and which which to put that in perspective is basically like someone getting murdered in plain sight in the middle of times square and no one knows what happened right and 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 the person who murdered him offers to lead up the investigation about the death exactly Oh, yes, we care so much. I was watching RT to see what their perspective on all of it would be. And, of course, RT being so state-controlled is very much, oh, yes, you know, and, and, and the government is very concerned. And any information they wanted, it's like, right. I mean, this guy knew he'd been on record saying Putin is going to kill me. And Putin did, and he did it in broad daylight in front of everyone kind of like the way Tupac Shakur was gunned down. It's one of those things. I mean, that's really kind of the only thing I can kind of explain it to you, where people just know, okay, people are on alert, and they know, yep, I, if, if, I, if I go too far, no one has any problem killing me, and no one will say a word, even if it's done in front of everyone. Well, and here's the thing about Pussy Riot, is it's actually working. They are actually making a change, even if it's in foreign policy even if it's yes. in the way that people view russia they are bringing the issues to light and they Absolutely. are sticking with it and I, I love it i do i do too and i love that they were on house of cards i think that, that was a, a great casting choice a great it, it fit in well i mean it's funny because obviously most of these uh you know things were done and and were taped probably better than a year ago you know already they've had you know stephen colbert mm-hmm. who at this point he was already off the air but you know he was still existing within the 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 house of cards kind of world and um you know they have to make these decisions when they make them um from a production standpoint but it's still relevant storytelling wise if anything it's even more relevant with everything that's continued to happen in ukraine and and as i said the the weekend you know the show premieres um you know when someone is assassinated literally you know on the steps of the government um it it really kind of brings it all home and you're right those girls are doing so much to kind of bring attention to the issues and also, frankly, force, uh, I would say, you know, Obama and, and other um, leaders to really kind of address these things because they realize, wow, you know, I mean, it puts in perspective in a way that you kind of can't other things. If you say you care about free speech, you can't look at a case like Pussy Riot and ignore it and say, oh, you know, it's, it's just that that's a one off or whatever. Right. Well, and, and it could have been. They could have been a flash in the pan, but they really, they just, they, they have an attitude that will never go away until no, they don't, they, they, it's exterminated. 
Exactly, because they're they're doing as you said. I mean, they as we said, they will freaking die for their art. They will freaking die for their principles, and so few people will. And they will be martyrs. I mean, at this yes. point, at this point, they will be martyrized. And I think that, I think that uh, Russia knows that too. They do, they do, which puts Russia in a really difficult position because on the one hand, they have no qualms about killing people, but on the other hand, it's like okay, doing this will this create more dissent, and will this create. You know what? What does it do? If it's kind of like a, a Hunger Game sort of thing, like what happens if you get rid of her? Right. All right. Well, before we get too political again and have to cut her episode, it has to, have to cut her episode. <laughs> this should be an interesting splice. It will be an interesting splice. I think we've got two halves of a great whole, so that's what we could call it: two halves of one. There you go. And please rate it. Please rate and review us on iTunes. Yes, please rate and review us on iTunes. You can find us on Twitter, where we very infrequently update at OVRTRD. Although I will note that uh, it was people pinging our Twitter account that really got us to realize we should revisit this episode. So hit us <laughs> up on Twitter. I'm at film underscore girl. He's at TT Scoff. And uh, rate and review us on iTunes. And uh, I'm not tired, so I'm going to go, I guess, run around and get tired. What about you, Brett? I, yeah, I have a... I have a lot to do. I'm getting the treadmill back out today. It's been a little while. Fantastic. Exercise. Exercise. Let's get tired. Let's get tired. Have a good one. You too. The system is going down low. I don't really know if I want you listening to our show. No, I'm kidding. Please do listen and rate and review us on iTunes. It's very important.